You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you now to turn with me to our scripture reading. It comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axes are ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Our text this morning comes to us from Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know what happened last week on Thursday? Thursday was 
a very special day. You know why? Because I got to go to classes. Classes is when ministers and elders from the churches around meet to talk about important things. But not everybody gets to go to classes. The only people who get to go are people who get permission from consistory. You know what consistory is. It's men like that sitting over there. Those are some of the people from consistory. And only consistory can give you permission to go to classes. They give a special letter to the minister and a special letter to the elder. We had to take along those letters to classes. Those letters said, we give the minister and the elder authority to speak for us. That's called a commission. So consistory commissioned us to go to classes. To commission someone means that you officially send them to do something. Consistory commissioned us, at least us from Chilliwack, to go to classes and to speak for them. When the Lord Jesus began His work on earth, He had to be commissioned too. He didn't just come and begin working one day. No, He had to be officially appointed to do His work. And God Himself officially appointed Him. He commissioned Him to save His people from their sins. That's also our theme for this morning. And Jesus is commissioned to save His people from their sins. And we see this reflected in His baptism, in His anointing, and in His approval. When you study the early years of Jesus' life, you see that His life was one that was lived in complete humiliation. He was the one person who should have been honored more than anyone else by the people of His day. But instead of that, the only ones who really honored Him were the foreigners who visited Him in Bethlehem. His parents became refugees soon after He was born. And when they finally did settle down, it was in the most backwards little village of the most backwards little region in all of Israel. They went to live in Nazareth in Galilee. So the people labeled our Lord a Nazarene. And that label stuck with Him for the rest of His life. Now, this morning, things almost seem to change. The opening words of our uh, text or of our reading, rather. No, it was our text. Say that Jesus left Galilee. Verse 1 of our text says that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Matthew 3, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. And the reason that He came was because John the Baptist was at work at the Jordan River. John was the herald, the man who had to prepare the people for the Lord's coming. And that Work of preparation involved preaching at them to prepare them and make them repent from their sin because the Lord was about to come to them. And part of His ministry was also baptizing them. Now that baptism was not a baptism in the sense that we understand it now. It was instead a ritual that symbolized being cleansed from sin. The people had to confess their sins and they had to be baptized to prepare them for the one who was to come. 
the one who was even more powerful than John himself. His coming, said John, was going to be spectacular. He said that the one coming after would baptize his people with fire. He would clear his threshing floor. And John was talking to believers here. The church of his day. He said that the Lord was going to winnow them. And anyone who was not a true believer was going to be weeded out. Separated. It was very intense. And John certainly had a successful ministry in the sense that people came from all over the place to listen to him. Many became convicted of their sins and were then baptized in the Jordan River. And now the Lord that he spoke of was coming. It made sense that the Lord would begin his ministry by coming to the Jordan first because he would expect the beginning of his ministry to connect to that of John in one way or another. So our text this morning brings us to a point of high drama. This is the first ever public appearance of Jesus. The one who was to come is finally here. How did John know that Jesus was the one? Well, in Luke one thirty six, we read that they were related. So maybe there had been some prior contact before. Matthew doesn't tell us. But what he does tell us, very matter-of-factly, is that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, not only does it say nothing about judgment, but Jesus is about to undergo the same baptism that everyone else did after confessing their sins. Something is not adding up here. So John protests. I need to be baptized by you. And you come here to be baptized by me? If anyone is going to be baptized around here, it should be me, Lord. John is quite aware of his shortcomings. He needs a Savior just like the rest of us. And according to Matthew one twenty one, Jesus is the one who would save His people from their sins. So why would Jesus now willingly undergo a ritual showing that the person undergoing it was a sinner? That's the question John is asking. If you look at our Lord's reply in verse 15, you'll see that He never actually answers John's question directly. What He does instead is He answers the underlying concern. Uh, John, of course, was puzzled because the situation made no sense to him. And he was also puzzled because the one who was to come was going to come as a judge. Jesus is not fitting the description. That is why our Lord answered John the way He did. He says in verse 15, Let it be so now. In other words, this is not a permanent situation. Judgment will come, but it will come later. First, I need to undergo baptism. Let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Well, you see that word fulfill being used in the Gospel of Matthew in connection with all kinds of Old Testament prophecies and themes. We're at chapter, at the end of chapter three here, and so far there have been five different instances 
where Jesus literally fulfilled a prophecy. That is to say, all of the conditions, um, he met all of the conditions necessary for this prophecy to be true of him. And all of them were prophecies that he could not have fulfilled consciously. He could hardly, for example, have predicted or decided where he would be born. But he was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of the prophecies. Matthew has really gone out of the way to show that Jesus from the day of his birth was a promised Messiah. But now even this word fulfills being used in a way that does not make sense, not immediately. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? It would have made more sense if he would have said it is proper to do this to fulfill the law or something like that, but he didn't say that. Instead, he says that it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness in this context cannot point to a specific command. There was no command anywhere that said that the Messiah would have to be baptized. There was no command in the Old Testament that said anything about baptism, period. As a matter of fact, the word baptism is not even used in the Bible until this chapter. So righteousness in this context has to point to something else. If you look at how Matthew uses that word elsewhere, it appears that righteousness describes the kind of relationship that people have with God. It is a relationship characterized by obedience. For Jesus, obedience to the Father meant not only keeping the law, but accomplishing the mission for which His Father sent Him into the world. And what was His mission? To save sinners. Matthew one twenty one says that He would save His people from their sins. So righteousness in this context means to be faithful to His mission. His baptism is His first official act in His work of saving sinners. So when he says it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, he's saying, I need to do this to save sinners. Jesus is commissioned to save his people from their sins, and his baptism is a necessary part of that. How? Because by being baptized, he becomes a part of the group. All of these people who have come to John to be baptized are people who are deeply conscious of their sins. They know that they're sinners. By letting himself be baptized, Jesus is becoming a part of that group. Isaiah 53.12 said that he was numbered among the transgressors. That's what's happening here. Our Lord begins his ministry on earth by publicly identifying himself with sinners in the most personal way possible. You think for a moment about what this means for us. The people who came to John, it says in verse 6, were people who came confessing their sins, plural. To confess their sins, you need to name them, you need to claim them, you need to take personal responsibility for them. That's what these people were doing. They told John exactly what they had done wrong. Now, Jesus had no sins to confess because He is the Son of God. And you'll notice that that is also why He he alone went out of the Jordan immediately after His baptism. He didn't stop to confess His sins. There was nothing to confess. 
He loved His Father with His whole heart, soul, and mind. He loved the law of God. That law that we read this morning, that was written on His heart. And He stood there by the River Jordan. And He heard all of these believers, church members, confessing their sins. He heard how they had betrayed His Father in every way imaginable. He heard how they had broken that law, that beautiful law, how they had lied, stolen, cheated to each other. He had no guarantee that it would not happen again. And yet, he went up to John and he said, I want in. I want to be a part of those people. One of the group of sinners. One of us. If you're sitting here this morning, you're a sinner. You're listening to a sinner preach to you. There are sinners filming the service. There are sinners listening to it online. When the sermon is over, there will be sinners going around collecting your money. There are sinners all around us. Big sinners, little sinners, baby sinners in the nursery. And Jesus came to save sinners. His first public action was to be counted as one of us. No wonder John was shocked. Jesus was commissioned, that is, authorized to save His people from their sins. His baptism was a necessary first step. But after that, another major event took place, and that was His anointing. We read in verse 16 that as soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water, And at that moment, heaven was opened. Clearly something of monumental significance just happened. Heaven opened for him. Jesus alone is good enough to enter heaven on his own merit, but he doesn't do it yet. He has just undergone baptism and so identified himself with the people that he came to save. Now he will need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit for his work. What that means is that he had to be officially empowered for the task that lay ahead of him. That happened through his anointing with the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 16 that he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. That is highly symbolic. It constitutes the second formal element in his commission. It was His empowerment to do the work that the Father had sent Him to do here on earth. Now, think about that for a second. You might be asking yourself the question about, hold on, didn't Jesus have the Holy Spirit already? Certainly He did. However, His anointing with the Holy Spirit symbolized His official commissioning by God. As we will see in more detail in a moment, we have to read what happened at the Jordan against the background of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is another messianic psalm. And in verse 2 of that psalm, it refers to God's anointed one. Originally, that referred to King David. But looking into the future, it referred also to Jesus Christ. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, actually says that the rulers rebel against the Lord. Psalm 2. They rebel against the Lord 
and against his Christ. Christ means anointed one. And in Psalm 2 verse 8, the Lord tells his anointed one, ask of me and I will make them nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. In other words, you will receive the world as your dominion. At his baptism, Jesus is officially anointed for the work in which the nations will be his heritage. What we see here this morning in our text is the triune God on the verge of reclaiming his world. In the beginning, the triune God created the heavens and the earth. The Father created it through the Son. John 1 says that through him, that is through the Son, all things were made. And Genesis 1 says that the Spirit hovered over the waters. So the triune God created the world, and that world fell into sin. Now, on the bank of the Jordan, on the border of the promised land, the Father commissions His Son to save His people from their sins. And He anoints Him with the Holy Spirit in order to empower Him to do His work. What we see here this morning, sketched out, in a couple of verses, is the triune God beginning to reconquer His world. You know what is even more striking? We share in this anointing through faith. Lord's Day 12 poses the question, why are you called a Christian? Answer, because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in His anointing. Jesus Christ was commissioned to save His people from their sins. Through faith, we receive that salvation. And through faith, we share in His anointing. He earned that anointing for us. That means that the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Him at the Jordan River that morning is the same Holy Spirit that fills us. After our Lord completed His mission on earth, He really did return to heaven. At Pentecost, He poured out His Spirit on the church. And that Spirit empowers us to conquer sin in our lives, to bring our lives into submission to the Lord's kingdom, to bring them under His dominion. We're empowered, we're anointed to take control of the sin in our lives. And there's consequences to that. Because the sins that we confess are sins that have been forgiven But now that we have been forgiven and we have been anointed, we may not abide in our sins anymore. If we truly share in Christ's anointing, if we truly have a part in what happened at the Jordan River, if we truly are Christians, then we cannot and we may not continue in our old way of life. Because the Holy One did not come to the Jordan He did not personally identify with our sins so that we can comfortably keep on sinning. What happened at the Jordan has far-reaching consequences. Jesus was commissioned there to save His people from their sins. We see that reflected in His baptism, in His anointing, and now also in His public approval by God. Verse 17 says that after He was anointed with the Spirit, a voice from heaven said, This is My Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. 
what we have here is a conflation, in a sense, a combination of two Bible texts. The first and most obvious one draws on Psalm 2, verse 7. Again, Psalm 2 originally referred to King David. Kings in those days were sometimes referred to as God's son. So on the day that the king was crowned, it was as if God became his father. That is the original thought lying behind Psalm 2. But if you read the whole thing through, or if you sing parts of it, which we hope to do soon, you see that this psalm cannot possibly be limited to King David himself. Oh, sure, it began there, but it did not end there. And in our text today, we see that that same language applies to Christ, the Anointed One. And then we understand that this psalm was a prophecy. It was looking ahead to this day, to this day that the Son of God would be commissioned for His work. Obviously, He did not become the Son of God at His baptism, whatever confusion the Jehovah's Witnesses might have about these things. At His baptism, His status, his status as the Son of God was publicly declared. So there are royal overtones here. The triune God is on the verge of reconquering His world. And if the rest of Psalm 2 applies here, as it does, then this anointed Son, this King, is going to be unstoppable. He will go out. He will conquer that world. He will bring the true kingdom of God on this earth. So there are military undertones here in, in our passage this morning, in our text. We should make sure that we don't miss them. The military undertones of the words, this is my son, have a counterpoint in the rest of the phrase. The words, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, refer to Isaiah 42 verse 1, and that is the other text. The first one was Psalm 2 verse 7, and here Isaiah 42 verse 1. Isaiah 42, in describing the coming Messiah, begins with the words, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Isaiah wrote those words 600 years before our Savior ever walked this earth. He too was looking ahead to the coming Messiah. He too knew that the Christ would be anointed one, the anointed one. But he saw the other side of the Christ. We, we've seen his military overtones. But now there is this, this unique contrast embodied in the same thought. And Isaiah already foresaw that. He saw that the Christ would also be a suffering servant. The Old Testament showed two sides to this Messiah. On the one hand, he would be the royal king, the beloved son, the conqueror. And on the other hand, he would be the suffering servant. And the voice from heaven combines both of these elements, both of these threads, both of these thoughts into one crystal clear statement. He says, this is the one. This is my son. This is the one whom I have commissioned to save my people from their sins. There are consequences to that declaration. The Father said, this is the one. And in saying that, He also said, there are no others. 
That means we need to acknowledge who the Son is because the ominous melody of Psalm 2 is still in the background here. Kiss the Son, it says. That means submit to Him. There is no other way to escape the coming wrath. Only Jesus was commissioned to save His people from their sins. Only He was uniquely commissioned to conquer by suffering, by overcoming the sins of His people in Himself. Only Jesus was baptized in this way, was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and then had the Father approve Him. The Father says, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. He only said that about His Son. Did you pick up on that? He didn't say that about any of these other people who were being baptized. You realize that? No one else can by nature please Him. You can't. I can't. Only Jesus can. That is why only Jesus could say of Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. The Son is the only way to God. But that is the Gospel, isn't it? Because the Gospel is that there is a way to God. That the Son was commissioned to save His people from their sins. And that those who are joined to Him in true faith share in that righteousness as well. Lord's Day 23 of the Catechism puts it so beautifully. This is gold. It says that if I believe, then God grants me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. Jesus was commissioned to save His people from their sins. You have to receive that in faith. But when you are joined to Christ in true faith, then something miraculous happens. Then the words that the Father spoke about His Son become true of you as well. Then you are God's beloved Son. You are God's beloved daughter. Because when He looks at you, He sees the reflection of His Son. And He is pleased with you then. He gives His Spirit to you. And He equips and commissions you to go out and to do the work that He sends you to do in His kingdom. So rejoice in His love. Delight in His goodness. And fulfill His purpose, His commission for your life also this week. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.